Um, but it's good to be here. Good to be here with you guys. Let's get into Malachi. Uh, we're looking at um, the, the chapter 3 that um, Kenny read for us. So let's pray um, before we get into it. Uh, Father God, we do thank you for your word, that you speak to us through it. Uh, thank you, Lord, that... Um, yeah, Lord, the, the truth can be hard sometimes, and uh, as we hear from your word today, there will be some hard truths that uh, will impact our hearts. But I do pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit will be at work, not um, firstly to comfort us and to remind us of your grace and your love, but also to challenge us, to know that uh, we can't uh, sit back and, and think that um, your grace is cheap, but it came at a cost, and that came uh, at a cost with the, the life of your son, Jesus. And so we do pray, Lord, as we hear from your word today, uh, that you'll move our hearts uh, to be people who are obedient, a people who, who know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, who here has heard of the name Chuck Feeney? Does anyone know who Chuck Feeney is? No one does. Hey, and this is something, like, I, I, I stumbled on this article uh, a month ago. It was in the news. Uh, Chuck Feeney was a billionaire. Uh, he was worth about $8 billion, uh, about 40 years ago. And in the last 40 years, he, uh, with his fortune, he made a commitment. And his commitment was to achieve a lifetime goal of giving away his entire fortune. He's 89 years old now, and a month ago, he signed away the last of his money to charity. So he, his whole mentality was to strive for zero, to give it all away, to give his fortune all away to charities, uh, to causes to help improve the world we live in. Uh, Chuck himself is quoted saying, you know, there are, there's a world full of people who don't get to eat. I have a responsibility to care for them with the wealth that I have. You see, this guy has influenced people, like people like Bill Gates. You guys would know Bill Gates. Uh, he's the second richest in the world. I think he's worth $98 billion. Uh, Warren Buffett, he's the fourth richest. Um, you know, he's, uh, they've both been influenced by guys like this guy, Chuck Feeney, a guy that we don't, never heard of. Right? Together, um, people like um, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they established th this thing called the Giving Pledge, where the world's richest people are committed to giving away half of their wealth. Warren Buffett is quoted saying Chuck Feeney is his hero and should be everyone's hero. And he should be. Wow, like he, he chose to live a frugal lifestyle as a billionaire and to see the world as a place that's full of people who are in need. And that's what drove him to strive for zero, to give it all away. Most of us don't even know who he is. Yet he's made such an encouragement, such an uh, impact on some of today's wealthiest people and encouraged them uh, to, to live a life of philanthropy. He lived with this, essentially, this non-negotiable in life. This perspective that everything he has given has been entrusted to him to be distributed to those in need. And I wonder, right, what is our perspective when it comes to our wealth, our money? Do we feel a sense of responsibility with it? Chuck Feeney has been such an insp inspiration to so many other billionaires, but for us, like the plebs, right, I'm a pleb, uh, who might only have a few dollars to our name. Who and what will, be, will we be inspired by? How will we be inspired to be generous to? But more importantly, how will we view our money in light of God and how he calls us to see our money, to see our money and give our money? See, this, this passage here in Malachi, these six verses that we just read, it really touches upon this very idea. It's about money. Let's be honest, the, the church has a bad rep with money. Hey, uh, there are so many scandals always in the news. So many uh, prosperity preachers asking for private jets. Uh, pastors, you know, like the media, you know, they're, they're akin to snake oil salesmen, right? Trying to defraud their members, you know, trying to raise money for themselves in the name of God. And sure, some of it is true. It saddens me to admit that, that there are some out there using their authority to speak these untruths about the Bible, these lies about the Bible and money for them to get rich. It's an abomination, you know, and, I, and it saddens me. Um, but we here today, 
we all have our presuppositions, right, when it comes to church and money. Today, I want to encourage you, firstly, just to leave all your presuppositions at the door, right? Come, let's come with a clean slate to God's Word. Let's hear what God has to say about money and generosity. And today, I hope you'll, be, you'll come to an understanding of how money plays a role in the life of a Christian as God desires for us, so we can truly flourish as his people in this world. Got your Bibles? Let's get into it. Follow, me, follow with me from chapter 3, verse 6. This is what it says. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Stop there. Uh, this comes right on the back of last week's where we heard about the uh, injustices in the world and, and the people claiming that God doesn't care about injustice. But he's saying right up, straight up, the Lord does not change. He's unchanging. He, of course he loves um, the people in the world. And here he's saying he's establishing, and I've always loved you, the descendants of Jacob, Israel, right? His people. We heard about that in the first week. If you were here since the first week in Malachi, uh, he establishes his love for his people. Um, yet what, has, what we've seen throughout the first three chapters of Malachi is that the people have not loved God. They've been unfaithful to him. God has made this covenant promise, a really strong promise, essentially. That's what covenant is. And so he's sticking to his side of the covenant, that he will love them, and he has always loved them, his people. God is faithful to that promise, but the people haven't been. They've turned away. they turn away from his laws, his decrees, and essentially turn away from him, and knowing him, and loving him, and worshipping him, essentially. There's this life of unfaithfulness. It's repeated again and again throughout the Bible, uh, throughout this book in Malachi so far. Remember, we're, we're living during, uh, they've come out of exile from the Babylonians. This is 450 BC, around that time before Jesus has come, but it's also the last book uh, in the Old Testament. This is the last we hear about Israel in the Old Testament. But God is reiterating it again. God has brought them out of exile, out of oppression, and he loves them. They've strayed morally away from him. God is making a plea to them, return to me. He doesn't say, if you return, if you notice that. He says, return to me. There's a relationship that already exists. God never left them. He's faithful. He's like a faithful father to them. And in a sense, he's saying this, I'm committed to you. And I've always been committed to you. Now return to me and live under my kingship and under my decrees. And it's under that that we're going to experience the blessing as his people. Israel's going to experience blessing. Return to me is really um, what we call the series, a call to draw near to God. A call to repent, to turn away from our way of living, from our idols, and instead turning away, turning towards God towards blessing, towards a relationship with him in worship of him. Now, all of a sudden, it gets really spicy, doesn't it? While God calls them to return, he's also going to call the police, right? Because there's a robbery. Let's read. He's a charge. Verse 7. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Wow. There's this charge you know, against the people. They've robbed God. It's a pretty big accusation, isn't it? Uh, it sounds even like, you, you know, offensive. If I was Israel, I'm like, how have I robbed you, you know? But God can say this to his people because uh, his people understand that, his people should understand that everything they have actually comes from God. You know, it's, it's, it's an understanding in the Bible that everything we have, all our finances, all our resources, all our possessions, it actually comes from God originally. It comes from him. Everything we have comes from him. We say it all the time here at Providence during our collections bill. Everything we have comes from him. It's really interesting. If you go uh, into places like 1 Chronicles, I've got this on the screen for you. Uh, in, in chapter 29, 
This is David, okay? King David, if you know uh, your Old Testament uh, kings. Uh, King David, he, he honored God with his life. Um, but King David, he was uh, going to the temple and he made an offering of gold and silver to God. And he makes his prayer to God. After he gives all his, like this, this ton of gold to the temple, he says this, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight as, we, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all that belongs to you. So that's, that's a bit of background to understand that understanding that here at church we always say that everything we have comes from God. Even King David acknowledged that and he was a rich, wealthy king. I'm a pleb. Everything I have comes from God though. You know, and, and so if King David can acknowledge it, we should be able to acknowledge that too. So 1 Chronicles 29 really establishes that for us. King David acknowledges that. He can donate all this gold, but that giving to God, that's already from God. It already belongs to God. He's just giving it back. We give only what comes from your hand. Do you see what that means for us? Your money, your clothes, your possessions, your house, your car, the life you live, it's all a gift from God. It all comes from his hand. It all comes out of his uh, abundant grace and provision for you and I. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know like, this is what I think too often. Wait a second. My parents moved here and they worked really hard. You know, immigrant family, seven days a week, working really hard. So I could get an education. So I could get a successful career and a secure income. I studied really hard. I went to uni for six years of my life to get this piece of paper. Eight years to get another piece of paper that said masters on it. I worked from the ground up. You know, I hustled with low pay, lots of debts, but I earned it all with my own hands. I worked hard for that. That's all me, my own blood, sweat and tears. And sure, we all have to hustle. We all have to get food on the table, I hear you. And I'm not trying to discount your hard work, for real. But who allowed all that to happen? Who gave you those opportunities? How did you end up born into a privileged family, into a privileged society? Who created you with that intellect? Or who created you with the, the brains to calculate, the hands to work hard and the ability to create? Isn't God behind every good gift? Every opportunity? Isn't the, he the one who in his providence set up all things and planned it all? The New Testament actually reiterates this. I think I have this in James on the screen. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, coming from God. You see, the reality is, you and I, we didn't have a choice where we were born, did we? I mean, there's a, we, did, we could have been born in the, in, in the villages of, of, of Papua New Guinea. We could have been born in the slums of the Philippines, to a family in poverty. You could be really smart, be really hardworking, but honestly, it's not that easy to get yourself out of that situation, is it? Would you really have the same opportunities as you have in this life that you've been given? Probably not. You know, when we look at our life, everything we have comes from God's hand, just like King David acknowledges. Can you and I really have a claim to anything when it all comes from him? The heroes of the Bible, they all saw themselves merely, really, as, as trustees, right? Trustees of their finances and resources. God entrusted it to them. God is our creator. You know, and in terms of, if we're talking finance, banking terms, God owns all the money and he invests, entrusts the money <laughs> to us so that we can be trustees of it. Uh, a pastor friend of mine once said this, um, but the question then, when we think about money, 
uh, and, and giving is how much of, it's not how much of my money am I going to give to God. The question really, we all should be asking this, how much of God's money am I going to keep? Do you see the subtle shift in that? It's not how much of my money am I going to give to God, but how much of God's money am I going to keep? Yeah, it's, a, it's that subtle mind shift, isn't it? To, to see your job, to see your possessions, to see your money and everything you own as belonging to God first, and then consider what are you going to do with God's resources? You and I are trustees, trustees of God's money. And, why, and that is why God makes this charge against his people here. You've robbed me of my tithes and offerings. What belong to him? Stop robbing, stop robbing, but return. What are these tithes and offerings? If you guys haven't been in church, you might not know this, but a tithe basically just means a tenth of what you have, a tenth of what you earn. And you've got this command in Israel. It's a law uh, to the Old Covenant people. In the Old Testament, uh, this is what he commanded them. It's in Leviticus. I've got this on the screen as well, 27 verse 30. A tithe, which is a tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So this tithe, right, was a tenth of your annual income that went to the work of the temple, right? God's temple. It belongs to God. Whether you were rich or whether you were poor, everyone had the same command to give a tenth. It was a reminder for the people to, to be thankful to God that everything we have comes from him. It was a symbol of thankfulness. And it was used in the temple. Practically, it was used to support the, the priests who work in the temple, to the upkeep of the temple. Money also, uh, and, and it's not talked about, but it is there in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28, if you're taking notes. It talks about how the money's distributed to the vulnerable. It's distributed to the orphan, the refugee, the widow, those in need as well. So this money is coming to the temple, this tithe is coming to the temple, and it's also not only used for the temple, but also to care for God's people, God's creation, God's world. Israel had that responsibility. They were trustees. And this offering here, the offerings here are a reference to uh, what we heard in uh, uh, week two, is a reference to those free will offerings, those sacrifices made above the tithe. So you'll, they were commanded to give a tithe, 10%, sure, but they were actually giving more than that every year. Free will offerings, sacrifices, like the, yeah, sacrifices that were uh, offerings to God. So you can understand now, can't you, that when God makes this charge of robbing from him, uh, it's, he's making this charge that they're actually robbing from the temple, uh, a place that maintains and allows worship for God. But God is also saying when you withhold your tithe, you also rob the people that that money was intended for. You rob the lesser off. You're robbing those who are vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, those who are in need. You know, at its heart, the tithe, it was intended for human flourishing. Yet they were robbing God of that. The generosity was intended for the goodness of humanity and creation around them. God commanded them to give. And it was through those ties that God's kingdom would continue to, to expand and God's people and his world would be cared for. Yet Israel were robbing them. In their stinginess and greed. Now remember, Malachi's message is to the old covenant Israel. Old Testament Israel, right? There's the, the promise uh, was given to them and this is where, where their commands, they were commanded to do this as part of their national identity, generosity to the temple. And so what we read next comes, not, uh, comes from not following God's decrees, right? Verse 9, if you're following. It says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Um, Who's read this passage before? Some of you are aware of this passage, right? Especially these verses here. Can I first say, there are, there, are, <laughs> there are churches and Bible teachers out there that will read this verse. The floodgates of heaven and will pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store. They'll read this verse and they'll say, if you give your money to God, God will give you back tenfold. And friends, that's really unhelpful. If you ever hear that, raise the alarm, all right? Raise the red flags in your head, you know, when you hear anything like that. Because Malachi here isn't referring necessarily to that idea of feeding into some sort of heavenly bank account and then you'll get your, your return in interest or something like that. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but he's actually referring to something that's written already in Deuteronomy. He's actually giving them something that has already been said before. Uh, if you, uh, we're not going to actually read it because it's long, but Deuteronomy 28, uh, in that chapter, and you can skim over, you'll be discussing it in your MCGs, but it reads that obedience comes with blessing. And disobedience comes with curses. And these very words about uh, the Lord will bless like this, that there will not be any room you know, to store your blessings, you know, and, and the curses like this you know, pest coming to devour your crops and all that sort of stuff, that's there in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, it's, it's all there. It's the general consequences of your actions as God's people. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you, if you don't obey me, I'll curse you. Like it's, it's just the consequences of their actions that he's setting out to his people, Israel. Okay? Now, it's, it's funny, hey, because we hear the word curse and we just think instant, like, something evil, like witchcraft, right? Uh, in, I instantly think of this movie, uh, 1996 Stephen King movie called Thinner. Who's watched it? It's really old. Oh, man, it's such a good movie. You guys have to... It's really bad. But it's about um, this really greedy, obese man and this gypsy uh, gets disrespected by him, so she comes up to him and goes like this like, on his cheek, and then he's cursed. And he like, gets really thin and loses all his weights until he becomes a skeleton. It's a horror movie. But um, that's what I think. What do you think when you think of the word curse? Something like that, right? A witch? No, you don't. I do. Okay? And that's, but this cursing is really this simple understanding, all right? Blessing in the Bible looks like you're going to find love and favor in God. Like you're going you're gonna to receive love and favor in God. But curse is going to look like he's going to withhold that. He's going to withhold that love and favor and instead allow things like the, the pest to come, you know, and, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is. Those types of things, that's what curse is going to look like for them. We've got to understand, right, this, this language. He says the whole nation is under a curse. They're collectively responsible for this. We all think like individuals in our Western society today. But for Israel, they were a collective. And, and together, they were responsible for this. Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe as well. Right? So God knows he's, they're probably shortchanging him. He wouldn't say that unless it was, you know, he was being really clear with the whole nation and the whole tithe. They might try and pass it off, right? But God knows the state of their hearts. He knows they don't truly care for God. I think what he's saying is generosity is a trust exercise. He says, test me in this. It's alluding to trust, isn't it? Trust me in this. That when you give, you'll be blessed. That you'll, you'll see favor, you'll know favor. See, the question you and I are asking is, uh, 
I know after reading all that, the question we're asking is, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with us as Christians today in the church? A trustee, tithing, trusting God, what does that have to do with me? How do we read this in light of the whole Bible? All right, so as Christians, under the new covenant, uh, I know every Christian asks this, do I need to tithe? Uh, We have an onboard course here, and I often get that question in onboard. Are Christians required to tithe? Well, tithing doesn't come up much in the New Testament, does it? Giving a tenth. We have one allusion to it. It's in Matthew 23, 23. I'll read it for you. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of Lord justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. There's a reference there to a tenth, a tithe. He's rebuking the Pharisees, saying that, hey, you give a tenth, that's good and all, but you should practice the latter. Justice loving people. You can throw your money, but, you know, throw your money to the, to the temple, but it doesn't mean anything if your love isn't behind it, essentially. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, we read that and we go, wait a sec, Pharisees, they're under the Old Covenant. They're under the Old Testament law. That's how they lived. And so mm, that doesn't really apply to us, does it? Because they're Pharisees. Yet Jesus doesn't tell them not to tithe either, does he? Let's hold on to that thought. Uh, let's look elsewhere. Jesus talks, he, he talks a lot about money, right? Uh, uh, he talks about money more than other topics, actually. He tells a rich person, there's an incident where he tells a rich person to give all he has, be generous to the poor. He talks about the poor widow who gives everything she has with a generous heart. And so we can deduce, uh, I think, from the gospel and from the Old Testament and New Testament that at least, at the very least, we're all called to be generous. Well, we all agree on that, right? We're all called to be generous as Christians. It's what marks God's people, whether Old Testament or New Testament. God is the same God. Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, God is the same God. But there is a verse in chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, or chapter 8, that we refer to when we talk about it. Uh, actually, David read this earlier. He alluded to this chapter, at least, uh, about generosity. This is the Corinthian church. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse 7 says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Interesting, isn't it? Because I think for many of us, we want to excel in those things. Faith, speech, knowledge. We want to learn the Bible. We want to practice what we learn about in the Bible. We want to love God, love people. But are we going to also excel in the grace of giving? Is that something we want to grow in as well? You see, this was written to Gentiles. People who weren't Jewish, they wouldn't grow up in the Old Covenant under the law. They'd become Christians later in life. They weren't raised as Jewish people. Uh, They didn't have the tithe then ingrained in them, right? This idea of giving a tenth. They weren't worshipping at the temple. They weren't worshipping at the temple. They weren't doing animal sacrifices. They were the church, just like us. They were the church under Christ. Christ was their sacrifice, right? Just like Christ is our sacrifice. Yet they were called to excel in giving. Whether in poverty or in riches, excel in giving. You and I have to decide what that means. We have to decide what that means considering that tithing played a big part in generosity in the Old Testament. Taking into consideration too that what we've already said, that everything we own belongs to God and comes from God. What will excelling in giving look like? In the words of uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in the US, we don't sit down with a calculator, do we? We sit down with the cross. Because what Paul says after really brings it home. It's in the same chapter, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. It says, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, he's not talking about material richness there. He's talking about spiritual richness. Jesus became spiritually bankrupt so that we could become spiritually rich. You know, we don't, we don't count our blessings by the amount of dollars we have in our bank account, do we? I'm blessed because I have this amount of dollars in my bank account. I'm not blessed when I don't have that amount of bank dollars, those dollars in my bank account. We don't do that, do we, when we count our blessings through the cross. Instead, when we look at the cross, we know that our sins have been forgiven. When we look at the cross, we know that we're saved by God, to God, to be given eternal life, to have every spiritual blessing, to have eternal freedom, to have eternal joy, to have eternal peace that's been gifted to us. Every spiritual blessing we have because of Christ who died at the cross, who emptied himself at the cross, who took our sin and gave us blessing. See what Christ did at the cross? Everything that we heard in Malachi, he took every curse. Every curse that was reserved for us in our disobedience so that we could receive the blessings of obedience. How awesome is that? He was perfectly obedient on our behalf. And so what we read there in verse 9 confirms that he, again, spiritually bankrupt, took all our disobedience and sin by his grace and his generosity so we could become spiritually rich in him. Hallelujah, right? Praise God. Jesus is so good to us. It's not about the, the money in my bank account. I have everything. I have abundant life in Jesus. I have eternity to look forward to because of Jesus. And so when we figure out giving as Christians, when we think about generosity and this money thing that we're talking about today, we're not looking at percentages anymore, are we? We can, if, you know, that's, it's helpful, but we're looking at the model of generosity himself, Jesus who gave his whole life to God's people. Do Christians tithe? Well, I'd say we, wouldn't, we shouldn't even limit ourselves to a tenth. We who get the gospel, we should be giving so much more, we should be giving our entire lives. But here's the thing, right? Malachi warns us of something, doesn't it? And here's, this is the flip side of things that we need to consider. Well, you know, he gives this charge against people. They're robbing God. And I don't think any of us like to, be, like to have that charge against, laid against us, right? That accusation. I know most of us here, I know most of the people in this room, or at least I've had a conversation with you before. And I would bet any money that, I wouldn't make a bet, but I would make any money, I'd bet any money that if you found a, a stranger's wallet on the side of the street, right? And you picked it up and there was cash in it. Most of you here wouldn't take any of that cash. Most. All of, all of you wouldn't take that cash. You look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, this, this is a lot of money. But you know, the owner of this wallet probably needs this money. And you would find that owner of that wallet, you would call them up or you know, post it to them, whatever you do, you'd give it back. You'd know yourself that it's not right to take that money. You wouldn't want to rob this person. But when it comes to God's money, how will you see it? How will you use it? You know, I think, I think we're all, me included, a little guilty of robbing God when we aren't generous with it. Yet the warning for us isn't the same as Israel, is it? I think it's something we need to consider, that, that it's, it's a little more subtle for us. As we look you know, into our Bibles, it's not so much about tithing. That shouldn't be the question. The question is the question of greed. Because at the core of it, that's what it is. It's greed. And greed is really the sin none of us wants to admit. I mean, it's so much easier to admit that we're proud, that we're jealous at times, that we struggle with, with lust perhaps, but greed? That's not me. We don't characterize ourselves with that. And we don't because we compare ourselves to the person next to us, don't we? 
and we look at those around us who are, who are uh, living lavish lifestyles, and we think, oh, I'm frugal compared to that. I'm not greedy at all. We see people around us who have the fast cars, who have the bigger houses, who have the nice clothes, the expensive tech. And you know, you know, you're not like that. I mean, I use coupons when I eat out. You know, I shop on Ozbargain. I clothes sort with friends. I haven't shopped for new technology in ages. I still use an iPhone 6. Yet we're hoarding it all away in our bank accounts, aren't we? We're, we're trying to pay off our mortgage as fast as possible so we can retire early. And we're not giving any of it to God. It's still money that's, that's used on us, isn't it? You might not be as materialistic, but that money still helps you with your security, your significance, your comfort, doesn't it? Now, friends, would you consider seriously reflect on, on your heart? Because I know I need to. We need to reflect on our hearts that maybe, potentially, potentially, we could be just as greedy as a person next to us. And I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but that it potentially might be us. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. Everything we read in the Bible, we do need to seriously sit down and be honest with our own heart and with our finances. We have to face the reality that sometimes we do care more about our status. We care more about our investments, our savings account, more than God. And I really want to really ask, how do you see your significance and your security? Doesn't God give that to you? Doesn't God make you feel more secure than your bank account ever will? Let's be honest with ourselves. You can't stop your health deteriorating, can you? You can't stop your loved one from getting sick. Your money's not going to save you. You can't know when the next financial crisis is going to hit or your company's going to make you redundant, can you? That piece of paper that you got from uni that doesn't make you more secure. That title next to your name, it won't give you lasting significance. Money isn't the answer. Only God is going to give you that security that you need, that lasting significance that you can't lose. And so the call is the same, return to God. Return to God in worship and in generosity. You see, when it comes to giving, we've got to start with the cross and then consider what generosity is going to look like from there. Yeah, we're not commanded by law anymore to give a tenth, but giving now is something you get to do as part of God's blessed people. Generosity is something you get to participate in because you and I, we're spiritually rich. Through being blessed, we can bless others. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing. Start with the cross. You might still struggle with this. You, you might want to say, Mike, you give me a percentage still. I need something to work with. I need a guideline. A lot of you guys need guidelines. I get that. Uh, some of us don't like guidelines, we just, you know, go head first. But guidelines, what, well, maybe then we need to ask the question, and I do this too, what is God's standard? Maybe we need to make God's standard as our own. And we need to take into consideration that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And so maybe the Bible actually does give us a baseline standard, doesn't it? What is that baseline standard? It's the, the tithe. Maybe it's the tithe. Maybe we need to start with that. And go upwards. Maybe that's what generosity is going to look like. Looking at that one-tenth, that 10%. And I know, if you guys sit down and look at your 10%, man, that's a lot of money, isn't it? And, and you're, you're, you start asking questions to just, oh, is this pre-tax or after-tax? How do I calculate this? Right? But if you're asking those questions, you're asking the wrong questions. Right? We need to think God first. You know, honestly, God could ask for 100% if he wanted to. 
But he says, start with the tenth. You'd be challenged when you look at that number. You'll feel uncomfortable. I know, because I did when I sat down and did my budget. I know the temptation. Put your money aside first for the home renovations. Put the money aside first for the investments. Put money aside first for your business. Put money aside first for that holiday fund. You know, whatever it might be. But what if we could sit down and look at our income and say, this amount, that's all yours. I'm going to set this aside for you first, and I'm not going to even touch that money, because that's God's money. I mean, everything is God's money, but this is what I'm going to give to you, to God. And this is what I'm going to keep. And then as you, as you budget, consider how much uh, you'll use for everything else. Budgeting is actually wise stewardship. Budgeting is actually being a good trustee of God's money. Now, my goal here isn't to make you feel guilty. Please, don't. That's yuck. Don't feel guilty, right? I don't want you to do this out of legalism. I don't want you to do this because you feel guilty. In the New Testament, we actually don't hear about tithing much because I think this was the actual concern. Paul doesn't mention it much in his letters because the temptation is to be legalistic about this. Oh, I give 10%. What about you? How much are you giving? This is how much I gave to church this week. You're not here to judge others. You're not here to, to worry about what others are giving. You're not here to be legalistic. Don't feel guilty, but do feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable talking about this. I don't get up here much to talk about money with you guys. Once a year, maybe I'll bring it up, and usually it's around this time of the year when we're planning budgets and thinking about next year and vision casting. And, and there isn't anything to hide. It's, that's not why I feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to hide anything. We send out our budget to our members every year so we can vote on it, and it's for vision night. But, but I did sit down this recently with, with the treasurer of our church, and I do need to say something about it today. We are, <laughs> we are running out of deficit in our church. Uh, and if you're not a regular here, if you're, if you're a newcomer, bear with me. Uh, this is, uh, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable too, but I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. Um, most of our, our members have been here with me uh, long enough to know that I hate talking about money. And it's because I've seen it done wrong in so many churches. I don't know about you. I've seen it done so wrong so, in so many churches. So I feel always a bit, you know, uncomfortable. But let's talk about our church. Our church, on average, isn't giving anywhere near a tithe to God's work. Uh, I did the maths this week. I sat down with one of our leaders and I did the maths. He's my human calculator because I suck at maths. But when we look at our giving in the past year, the average in our church, the giving per person, and I feel so embarrassed to share this, but trans let's be transparent, it's healthy and good, the average per person is actually around $30, $32 per week per regular member. If we're going to do the math on that, hypothetically, if everyone was, that's the average, if everyone was giving $32, that, that, that's our budget at the moment, uh, your annual salary, hypothetically, would look at around seventeen to 18000 a year. That's how much you'd be earning if you're giving a tenth. That's simply not true, is it? Or reflective of our members, of where many of us are at with our annual salary. If, if you... <laughs> As an example, if you're earning the average, say, 60000 a year, quick maths, right? What's 10%, uh, 6000 uh, per per week, you're looking at about $115 a week. That's how much a 10% of the 60K annual salary you should... If we were, we were going to give a tithe, that's how much it would look like, $115 a week. Now, remember, this was just the averages that we discovered from our current giving in this last year. It might not represent you as an individual, so don't get, don't get defensive, right? These are the numbers across the board. If we were to, to face them and be honest and transparent about it, 
And we should all feel that. Collectively, we should all feel that burden as a church family. We should feel that together. It's not just for me to feel that burden. It's a collective burden. Because let's be real. If we keep running like this, there isn't going to be a providence in a few years' time. I, I'm embarrassed to share this. Um, I'm embarrassed for the newcomers here who are thinking, man, is this the church I want to be part of? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's concerning, isn't it? And as your pastor, I'm concerned for us as a church, and I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for where your heart is. You see, for Israel, their tithing was an indicator of their heart condition. I'm, considered, I'm concerned for us as a church and the spiritual condition of our hearts. Do we truly love Jesus? Do we want to share his love to our, the world around us? Or are we robbing God? Do we love money more than God? Maybe the call to return to God for you today is to see instead a life of generosity, to live a life of generosity. What if we were marked by generosity in the way that we worship God? What would that actually look like? I want to give a caveat here. All right, listen closely. I'm not asking you or saying that you have to give your whole, say, if you were going to give a tithe, your whole tithe to the church, right? You don't have to give your whole tithe to the church. Uh, whether it's a tenth or a percentage, whatever. We're not the modern-day temple. We're a local church. You're not bound by a percentage. Remember, the temple was a central hub of a nation. The money went to the temple, and then it was distributed right across the nation. We're one church of many churches in our city and in our world. By saying that, I know it doesn't help Providence and the mission we're on or our budget, but... I don't think you need to get a calculator. I mean, I think it's wise, again, to budget and everything, but think about how you're being generous. Whether it's giving to Providence or giving to other charities or organizations in the name of Jesus, be generous. That's what I'm trying to say today. You might want to give to another charity. That's fine. That's up to you. I'm not going to say one ministry is more important than another. Providence isn't more important than giving your money to help the poor in the Philippines to help IJM with freedom, with giving freedom to people, bringing freedom to people. Providence isn't more important than helping refugees in the Middle East if that's where your money is going, or, help, or helping out with that orphanage in India. But the bottom line is be generous with what we have, with what God's given to us, and use it for the, for the flourishing of humanity and for God's work in this world. Play your part in the kingdom. Be a wise steward with the finances and possessions God has gifted you with, and be generous. Because there's so much human flourishing that we can play our, our part in through the giving of our finances. But if you don't know where to spread your giving, and, if, you, and if, if it overwhelms you, then maybe just consider entrusting it to the church. Your tithe to the local church. Trust that collectively, as a church, we'll make wise decisions on how we distribute it. Now, I'm not asking, listen to me, I'm not asking you to fund my private jet right now, okay? Your money, if you, it came to the church, it's not so my salary can go higher. My salary is set, all right, by the denomination. We're part of a denomination. And to be honest, I'm already rich in Jesus. I don't, I don't need your money. I have a salary, which is nice. But I don't need your money, right? Uh, in our denomination, there's good systems of checks and balances. I'm not going to get rich overnight by the, the amount of money you give to our church. And I'm not asking for a private jet. I really like, I would really like the PS5, the new one. It looks really nice, but... I'm kidding. Um, 
what I'm saying though is if you do choose to tithe to the local church, to Providence, trust that the church has budgeted to give a portion of our funds to the needs of others. At Providence, we use our funds to give to uh, organizations that, that, that work with uh, the persecuted church. We, we support Open Doors. We support IJM. Last week we talked about them. They bring freedom to people in slavery. We support this network called Geneva Push. It's a church plan network across Australia that, that plants new churches across Australia to bring the hope of Jesus to, new pe- to people, new communities. We care about that. We care about human flourishing and aid here. Now, there are a lot of expenses as well with the running of church, the upkeep of our church here in Sunnybank. There is staff. I'm on staff. There is cost. There's rent. There's resources that we pay for. But, you know, all that money that goes into here, Sunnybank, is actually for our local mission here. It's actually so we can go out and, and, and tell people about Jesus. And we can train people up to go and tell people about Jesus and train you guys and disciple you guys to do that. There's a local mission that we're on here. And so we've got to remember that our staff here at Providence do the work of caring for God's people. We're on that mission. And if we had the budget, I'm sure we'd hire more staff if we could to help the local mission that we're on here. So stop and think about how you've been blessed as being part of this church. Imagine your, your friend, your family member, your colleague at work, and th- imagine what if they could be reached for the gospel through the work that we do here at Providence. Consider how this church has blessed you. Now, if you were to co- contribute to the work of this church, we could bring the gospel to more people. We could start another service. We could plant another church in another suburb in Brisbane. We could reach more people. Will you steward what God has given to you to play your part in seeing more people reach for Jesus? Will you be generous? to use your money and to see eternal value come from it. I know a friend, a, a friend in Sydney, and he was, a, he was a bachelor at the time, living in a share house, and the church, he heard the church needed funds. He didn't have much cash in the bank, and so what he did, what he did have was a motorbike. He sold it, sold it for $5,000 and gave that $5,000 to the church. I asked him, was that really hard for you to do? Like, that's your form of transport. He's like, oh, I can take the bus. It wasn't hard. The church needed the money more than me. He didn't think twice. He entrusted it to God. It sounds radical, but that's what generosity looks like. I, I know a guy in Brisbane who sold a house. It was an investment house. He sold it, and, but he used all the profits to fund a pastor's wage for two years so that pastor could, could work for two years in a church. This guy was just an average church goer who had the extra funds and decided to give it all in support of the ministry of the church. It allowed that church to do so much more ministry, having an extra pastor on staff. Well, imagine that. I imagine that if we had the funds we'd do that, we'd be doing things like that. And so maybe we need to stop and actually imagine if we all actually truly tithed or were generous at least to God and the work of this church, there are so many things we could do, right? I know many of you have asked me, are we ever going to move into a permanent location? What if we could? (laughs) What if we had the funds to buy that property down the road and we could call it home and have a space to use it to serve people? to love the outsider, to welcome them home, to allow God's work to be done. Now, that sounds all good, right? It's very pragmatic, but seriously, imagine if we let God set the standard of generosity for us and we obeyed and gave in joy from the security we have in the gospel. Imagine what would we look like as a people? Forget all the pragmatic stuff that we could do with it. What would you be like? What would I be like? A people who were truly secure in who we were before God. That we have everything already in Him, in the gospel. A people who weren't bound by the expectations of society in terms of what status and significance looks like. 
How often do we buy cars or buy new things because the person next to us has them and we want it too? We're so influenced by our society, but not, we're not driven by the gospel. Imagine if we were a people really secure and had the freedom and abundance and life that we have in Christ. Wouldn't that be the vision? It's not about what we can afford as a church. It's about who we could be because of the gospel. Either way, whether you're giving to Providence or somewhere else, my desire is that we have a community here really marked by generosity in our worship. Honestly, if we're someone who identifies as a Christian and we've received God's generosity, generosity and giving, guess what? It becomes a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. You can't not be a generous person out of an overflow of thankfulness and gratitude. Generosity marks a Christian life because we know a generous God. I'm not telling you to hit a percentage. If you really want to be radical, stuff one-tenth. Go, go one-fifth. Go 20%. Make 2021 the year you give 21% of what you have to God. Imagine that. That would be really hard. But imagine if we could all do that. Wow, wouldn't we really find that security in God alone? Wouldn't we feel so free? Now, don't do that if that's going to make you resentful. Don't do that if that's going to make you bitter against God. Don't do it if you expect God to be a genie, that you, know, you rub the lamp, the lamp the right way. <laughs> he isn't some money tree that you water that gives you tenfold back. But do it because that brings you peace and joy. Do it because you've started at the cross of Christ, where you saw God's generosity poured out upon you. We give because of our Lord Jesus, who was in every way spiritually rich, but became spiritually poor so that you and I could become rich in God. We have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Jesus, who took our sin, became spiritually bankrupt so that we could become spiritually rich, friends. Keep coming back to the cross. I spoke about Chuck Feeney earlier. He was actually uh, influenced by a guy himself. He was influenced by a guy called Andrew Carnegie in the 19th century. If you look him up on Wikipedia, he's actually noted uh, he's, he's one of the most richest people in American history. Uh, he wrote an essay called The Gospel of Wealth right, in the, in the 19th century. You can actually find it online and read it yourself. It's free to read. Uh, and in it, he speaks of how the rich have a responsibility to use their wealth to help the poor one of the richest men in, in American history. He writes this. He says, Individualism will continue, but the millionaire will be but a trustee for the poor, entrusted for a season with a great part of the increased wealth of the community, but administering it for the community far better than it could or would have done for itself. You see, Chuck Feeney, he read this, this, this essay by Andrew Carnegie about the gospel of wealth, and he was so impacted by that that the millionaire will be but a trustee for the poor. I really appreciate those words. But even more so, I appreciate how this is in the same vein of how God calls us to be trustees of the money he's blessed us with, entrusted to steward and give so that we as a people can play our role in caring for God's world, seeing humankind flourish, but most importantly, using our finances to serve Jesus with everything that we have. Yeah, I really want to pray for us now. I want to pray that God will give us a heart of generosity. We'll, we'll return to God and we'll, we'll sit down and consider how can we be generous with what we have. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your overwhelming generosity in the cross. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, who gave his life up for us, 
Thank you for Christ, Lord, that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. We have eternity to look forward to. And in that, we have a security, a security that's unshakable. We have a firm foundation. We have you. A significant, we have a significance and identity in you that lasts forever. And so we pray, Lord, that as we consider all that, we'll come to you in honesty and transparency. We'll come to you in worship of you. It's easy, Lord, for us to, to come before you in repentance of, 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 of the more obvious things in our lives that, that bring us away from you, but for us to really consider how do we use our money, help us to ask the question, are we, are we robbing you of what you've given to us? Help us to ask that question and help us to be a people, Lord, who are willing to turn back and return to you. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, who want to worship you, uh, not just with our, our, our lips and with our lives, but with, yeah, with everything, with everything in our lives, including our finances. I do pray for that, Lord, and I pray that you'll be at work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.